Welcome to the Analytics of Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Jordan McNamara. Uh, I have with me tonight a special guest, Jesse Reeves. Uh, we're going to talk some uh, just a, a, a range of stuff. He's got a draft guide, uh, rookie draft guide, some some player profiles coming out, and uh, and some long form written form. So I'm excited to talk to him about that, and uh, we'll we'll sort of dive into that. Before we get there, I just want to um, just mention my Patreon channel, the Analytics of Dynasty patreon channel uh through the end of the month of march uh it's a podcast a day i am confined to my house uh as i know a bunch of uh you are as well uh and so i am doing a uh, a podcast uh, each night i've been talking about uh drafts that i'm in some different projects that i'm working on some bigger form strategy so you can get all of that at patreon.com analytics of dynasty it's going to be a podcast today through the end of march and who are we kidding um this i'm probably going to be in my house for longer than that so we'll probably go even longer uh, per day but we'll figure that out sort of as the as the week uh comes to an end and we get into april maybe we'll just roll that right through the draft but um that is a to be determined, but you can definitely get it for uh, through the end of March, and you can probably expect a good chunk in in April as well. And the um, might not be every day, but it's going to be a lot of content. So patreoncom dynasty. you can get the tiers, all the podcasts uh, for ten dollars. Um, you can go to the lower level. Uh, you get a couple of podcasts a week for four dollars, or if you want to jump right into the uh, the group me uh, and get the whole platform, you can get that as well over there with the uh, champion tier at uh, patreoncom dynasty for twenty bucks. So, um, all right, enough of the the promos. That's all the ads we're going to have in terms of this. Well, my ads, anyways. Uh, Jesse's here. Jesse, thanks for joining the podcast. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you uh, lending me this, your platform, and and uh, let me come on and talk some talk some football with you. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were talking before the show, and I I was telling you that you're the first. Uh, you're the well, actually, I think you're the um, you're the second football guest that I had. I I told you before you were the first or the fantasy football. I had my editor um, for the analytics of Dynasty on earlier too. Um, but besides him, you are the first uh, fantasy football guest uh, to be on. So, uh, and, and the reason I wanted you to, uh, to come on is because I, I you're releasing a, a rookie draft guide. Um, and I, you know, I really enjoy the long form written uh, content, which I think isn't, it's not all that common now. This is more of an audio and some video and some, you know, uh, article-based uh, media. I think in terms of in terms of fantasy football and dynasty in particular. So I, I uh, in in that long-term sort of uh, big picture, uh, long-form uh, written content. That's sort of my world. So I'm I'm interested to hear sort of how you decided to go into that. But how how long you been playing fantasy football uh, in general, and then how long you been playing dynasty? Yeah, man. Um, and first, first off, dude, I'm, ex- I'm excited to to definitely talk about that with you and stuff. So um, starting with just how long um, I've been playing fantasy football, I've been playing for roughly eight to nine years. Uh, I think I lost track after five. And I think I, I forced myself to lose track after that from all the money I lost. Um, but uh, and then I want to say I've been playing Dynasty probably two seasons now, two to three seasons. Um, and ever since like I latched on to dynasty, I think everybody starts in redraft on just, you know, like an ESPN league or something like that. And ever since I just started playing dynasty, man, I just fell in love with the format. So been playing it ever since. And now I think I'm only in one redraft, uh, season long league. And the, the rest is just pretty much dynasty. How many dynasty leagues are you in? Oh, I am in five this year. Fortunately, I was actually um, last year. I kind of over over exerted myself, and I was in um, a bunch of of season long, and I was in probably ten or fifteen dynasty leagues as well. And um, it was a gross process, a learning process at that. But um, just uh, like I said, I overbit on on trying to be too active in the industry and the community, and I jumped into too many leagues, and I could I did not have fun. It was uh, tough to manage that many leagues. So shout out to everybody that manages more than like seven or eight leagues, because that is a monstrous um, a, a monstrous feat to say the least. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I'm sort of I'm I'm ranging between 25 and 30 right now, and the just like the 
it's interesting like now you're sort of looking bigger picture um and but the as you sort of get into the season it's actually this the in-season stuff that i think is the hardest because like you're on such a time crunch in terms of like Sunday mornings when you get roster locks, you only have 90 minutes in terms of uh, or roster, uh, you know, injury designations, and all that stuff like the noon games. You've only got 90 minutes to do all your team. So it's an interesting like that actually ends up being the crunch for me. But um, so how and you've been doing you've been producing content for how long? Uh, this is my second off season. So I say, this is, we'll say I'm going into my third season as an analyst, two season, two full seasons. I've been in the space. Got it. And where'd you start? Uh, I started over at FF statistics. Uh, now, uh, now they're pretty much just DLF. Got it. Got it. And now you write for Roto Underworld, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm over at Roto Underworld. And you, and talk a little bit about what the, what was the decision? What was the process like for you to decide to do this undertaking of doing a rookie guide? Yeah. So, um, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think last year, um, during the off season, when I was with FF statistics, I really, um, spent a lot of time kind of building my platform and building, um, my, my content follower base, um, during the rookie season, uh, that's something I've always really gravitated towards in terms of uh, my love for college football, as well as kind of just the draft process in general. I would say my favorite time of year is the football offseason when we talk about training camps and OTAs and free agency, um, all of those moving parts. And you can probably say that's one of the biggest reasons why I, I love um, Dynasty is because that's probably the most active time in Dynasty fantasy as well. So, um, like I said, last year I spent a lot of time building my platform based on um, kind of one-to-one conversations with a lot of people in the space based on what I felt and how um, I was viewing the the rookie class, um, how I felt about Nikhil Harry last year, DK Metcalf, um, um, players like Terry McLaurin, Dwayne Haskins, etc., and um, I, I really found that that was where I kind of I've I, I kind of got my footing in the industry and really really loved it. So this year coming in, um, I decided that I didn't really want to do uh, what I did last year because um, as much as I enjoy having one to one conversations with a lot of people and I do um, enjoy communicating with my followers and everything. I do spend a lot of time kind of pumping out tweets and, and talking about individual players. And I thought, you know, this year I wanted to try something different. Where can I put all of this amazing content into one space? And um, at first I was kind of against doing a draft guide uh, per se. I know a lot of people have them out and um, come around this time. A lot of people are, you know, uh, churning out a bunch of, uh, draft guide centered content. Um, and, and I didn't know if I really wanted to go down that, that rabbit hole or not, but, um, I felt that there was kind of a a little bit of a gap between what I'm doing with my guide and what other people are. So that kind of brought me to where I am now and kind of how, um, I'm developing this rookie guide and, and where I'm going with it too. How would you say you're different in terms of the content you're looking at, what you're trying to do, your process and what else is on the market? So, um, and that's that's another really great question. From everything that I see in terms of uh, just like rookie content in general, um, or even draft guides, startup dynasty draft guides or draft guides in general, uh, we're looking at um, this is the time where it's we get a lot of analytical crowd versus uh, film grinder crowd, as you want to say. So we get the film versus analytics debate. And if if you are in the space and you have consumed a lot of these draft guides, you will notice that. Um, although some of them have elements of analytics in terms of market share data or age-adjusted market share data and things, things of that nature, um, most of them are subjective in, in terms of the content that they have in t- um, when we talk about the, the quality and the traits that we look for in a lot of these rookies. For example, for wide receiver class, uh, Jerry Judy, uh, a lot of people have him pegged as the wide receiver one. They love the way he runs routes. They love his quickness. They love how smooth of a um, of a guy coming in and out of his breaks uh, that, that he is. He's not an overly physical guy from, from everything that I've seen, but um, he is a, a phenomenal ath- athlete <clears throat> and one that, that should thrive in the NFL. Um, and what I just described to you is kind of what you get in tip in your typical draft guide, an explanation of what um, what analyst X sees of that player. And although that's um, that's fun to kind of follow along and and um, read their opinions, 
on that player. What you're really getting is an opinion of the player. Not everybody is going to be able to turn on a piece of film and understand what that player is doing, um, how they're breaking down and leveraging themselves versus coverage, or how they're running in in the A gap and the B gap, and um, how you know blocking schemes and and things of that nature as well. So what I wanted to do, I was wanted to take evidence and I wanted to um, compile it together and give people an analytical approach to this rookie class. Uh, anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I, I work a lot with um, age-adjusted numbers for, for wide receivers, uh, draft capital, hit rates, things like that, things, percentages, and probabilities that um, really kind of lay out uh, the groundwork for the analysis that I like to do, which is predictive and hopefully uh, descriptive as well, a combination of both. So um, the way that I the, the route that I wanted to go with this is I wanted to take as much subjectivity out of my analysis for this draft guide as possible and kind of make this a a long form um, analytical approach that doesn't suggest what fantasy players should do in this rookie draft. It kind of tells them what to do. This is what I'm doing. This is where I have these players based on the the numbers and my model and everything that I've incorporated into this based on historical evidence. Instead of kind of telling everybody, hey, like I like the way this guy runs routes or I don't like the way this guy um, is is I don't like it, him in this specific scheme or things of that nature. So that's kind of what I where I want to differentiate differentiate myself between my guide and other people's guides. Yeah, it's great. I want to come back to Judy in a minute, but uh, yeah. uh, so I want to stay on this this bigger process thing. You say descriptive versus predictive. Can you sort of say what you mean by that and what might be a descriptive stat? what might be a predictive stat and sort of how can we how can we sort of distinguish between those or think and how we should think about those yeah so descriptive statistics are generally things that tell you um a, a certain um, they, they tell you a certain outcome but they don't have any relevance to um, being connected to uh, <clears throat> being a predictive metric so and I'm trying to word that as, as best as I possibly can. So a descriptive stat is something like yards per carry. So um, player X, Melvin Gordon, only averaged averaged less than four yards per carry, you know, for the last five seasons. Um, but yards per carry is not a, a, a predictive metric in terms of <clears throat> efficiency for a running back. There's a lot of things that are tethered to efficiency, but um, in terms of of what that stat tells us, it doesn't really tell us much. And it's and it's just random noise as as we like to call it when we when we think about metrics of of um, the the background of things like yards per reception, yards per carry, things like that. They are descriptive and they tell us what a player did, but they don't really tell us what a player is going to do. So in terms of um, predictive as well, things like um, yards per route run uh, it, it is a PFF metric. That is a very good predictive stat. There are his, There's historical data since they've been tracking it that tells us that um, players especially, and I did a study on this too, um, that players who have um, a, a high yards per route run in their rookie season tend to go on in into their uh, into year year two, year three, and, and year four with a higher fantasy output. So generally more efficiency leads to more volume, which then leads to more fantasy points. So there's a correlation that's predictive in that um, in yards per route run from uh, a, a very young career for NFL wide receivers that allows us to look at it and um, and, and say that, okay, if A.J. Brown is averaging two yards per, per route run, or over two yards per route run in his rookie season, he has a very high probability of being able to um, garner more opportunity in the future and th and in in the end produce more fantasy points for you. He has a very high probability of doing that. So that's an example of a predictive stat um, in terms of just just rookies as well. We find things like breakout age, dominator rating, um, yards per team pass attempt, uh, things like that tend to be predictive when we are able to gather all of those variables and um, kind of pump out where um, where these these rookie classes or these rookie players prospects, if you will, are grading out against historical too. So the difference between um, kind of descriptive and predictive is one tells you what a player did, one tells you what a player is going to do after what they've done. Wait, 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 hold on. 
So I was told that that Le'Veon Bell wasn't any good because he averaged 3.2 yards per carry last year. So um, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, that is course. my favorite stat. To, that it was when you use that stat, it's like my favorite stat to bet against because that's the most. It's basically a fluke year over year in terms of there's you know we're not going to get super geeky, but there's like zero R squared involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some one thing too that I found like in terms of that. I've looked at a lot and this isn't a little bit far afield of sort of what you're doing in terms of your, your rookie guide, but uh touchdown rate for quarterbacks is super fluky. It's, it, there's very little um, predictiveness year over year in terms of that. And, and that makes sense sort of when you think about it um, uh, you know, how many tip balls and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, defenders fall down and instantly you get five more touchdowns just through the course of luck or you get a ball batted up in the air and it's intercepted or, you know, whatever defender makes a great play in the end zone. That's a pick instead of a touchdown, like all of those things. And that that adds up to a massive difference in the course of um, in the course of a year. And so you see, like, you know, it's funny to me, like when you were talking descriptive stats like. Lamar Jackson's, you know, 9%, eight, whatever, 8.9 or 9% touchdown rate last year, uh, descriptive, not predictive. And that's like mm-hmm. my, you know, between that and yards per carry, it's in the NFL, at least anyways, that's, that's sort of the thing that I looked at. Um, and that's like one of my favorite, I don't know, I think, I think we, we base so much in terms of just dynasty on what happened uh, mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily what is as much going to happen. And I, I think that's a little bit of the, the descriptive versus the predictive is I think is a, a great way to think about it and look at it. Um, is there a way to incorporate, you were discussing there's, there's subjective things in terms of, in terms of people watching film and, and Hey, you know, and I, I heard today Todd McShay said that uh, Jerry Judy's the best route runner that he's ever scouted. Is there a way to incorporate like all the data that you have in terms of whatever you think is predictive, right? In in your model, in your in your analysis, and breakout age, and, and yards per run, and all of those things. If you have all of those things, is there a way to add a film score to that and make it better, right? Could you take a uh, you know if if you had a sample size of someone maybe like Matt Waldman or or or, or you know, Kuiper or someone like this going back that has some sample size and sort of use that, would it add predictive value uh, above what the the other stats that you've found predictive have? Have you looked at that or do you think you could do that or would it be too noisy? Yeah. So another, you're just laying out just incredibly good questions. And, and honestly, I don't think that there's any way for us to reliably incorporate a, um, a sort of a film metric. I think that they are usable. And I think that, um, along the, the, the lines of, of people who have really, really built a career on scouting and built a career on watching football, coaching football, being around the game of football. Those are the guys you really, really want to trust. I'm not saying that everything that I do is more predictive than a guy who watches football. That's, that's definitely not what I'm saying at all. Um, I think there are reliable people who could probably come up with a film score and grade um, something very, very well. But I think that the thing to think about the most or to come away with the most is when, when people um, like a Daniel Jeremiah or a Bucky Brooks or a, a Benjamin Solak or the guys over at TDN, for example, they're all incredible, incredible football minds with a very, very large film background. But the average person that watches film is not going to be able to digest um, everything that goes on the way that those guys do. They are trained guys who have eyes for football. And, um, so it's hard for me to kind of think that, you know, maybe we have a group of people out here that are just creating film scores and, and it's going to be predictive because the, the bottom line is that everybody sees something different. Um, everybody sees the way that, that Jerry Judy runs routes and he might, I've heard everything from he's a really, really good route runner to he's the best route runner that I've ever seen. And for me, it's like, okay, well, which one, which side of the table are we on? Is he just really good? Or is he like the best that you've ever seen? Cause if he's the best that we've ever seen, why was he not the best player in all of college football this year? And he's a phenomenal player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a little bit more average than a lot of people think, but um, coming into it and, and I think we could get really, really deep here too, in terms of the way that we value these rookies and the way we kind of listen to specific people and we digest certain numbers, we can get super deep here and I'll try not to, but um, it goes along the lines of 
if if we are listening to what everybody is saying right now, we get a lot of mixed signals on where to even just rank one guy such as Jerry Judy. But when we get into CeeDee Lamb and we package everything together and we talk about Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, there are so many mixed results when we're talking about these guys from so many different outlets. Um, a lot of people love Denzel Mims, love what he did at the Combine, kind of showed out, had a good athletic um, testing day and kind of had a good senior bowl, et cetera, et cetera. But some people think he's kind of relegated to just that X-style receiver. I, think, I believe he's 6'4", 2", I can't remember how much he weighs off the, off the top of my head, but a lot of people think he's He's going to be just this outside style receiver with this seven foot wingspan who's going to catch, you know, tons and tons of touchdowns. But there are people who also think that he's he's versatile. He showed enough speed to be able to give us a little bit of that versatility. He can probably work in in the middle. Basically, what I'm getting at here is that there's so many different opinions from people that watch film. It is all opinions on on how um analyst x feels about you know player y and i don't think there's a predictive way for everyone to come together and abide by the same grading scale because that's essentially what we would need is a a universal grading scale for how we're going to grade every single prospect on the film that we watch and unfortunately i don't think that that's possible because everybody sees things differently and that's kind of where it differs from the analytics is we when we have analytics such as breakout age we're all pretty much operating on the same scale that a break Breakout age is when a player surpasses 20% of the market share um, of their team's uh, overall receiving uh, um, production. Uh, some people like to use 30%, but the, the, the vast majority in the masses use 20% as their threshold because that's the industry standard. So we're all abiding by that 20%. I don't think we could probably get somewhere like that with the, the film community and come up with, okay, one, two, and three. These are, this is the criteria. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. This player's bad. This player's good if it isn't. I think it's a little bit too much to ask. I've tried it. I would love to do it, but it does leave an, an extra layer of subjectivity to your analysis that you're going to open yourself up to a little bit of ridicule there. And if you're fine with that, that's, that's cool. Um, I, I love watching football. I love watching film. I really enjoy being able to dissect players and I have um, a little bit of a coding coaching background as well coach at my uh, my local high school uh, defensive backs I'm a defensive minded coach so I do have a coaching background I do I, I am around the game of football I just prefer what I what you know what the evidence is to opposed to as opposed to what I'm seeing and I would never ask anybody to completely trust everything that I say and hinge um, their fantasy seasons on everything that I'm I'm seeing with my eyes based on my opinion I want to give everybody as much evidence as possible no that's great that's great um I I'm, I'm with you on all of that. What would you say in terms of something I've looked at in, in terms of the breakout age um, and, and you're doing this sort of pre-draft uh, and, and you know, that's, I, I think it's, it's really, really important in terms of pre-draft, you have to have opinions on these players and then you uh, and then it, you know, that might change based on pedigree and stuff. But is there a way in terms of, like, let's just assume I wanted to do something really crude and simple, which is I'm just going to take players and basically bin them and take guys that broke out, you know, we'll say 18, 19 years old uh, in in college, you know, broke out above 20 percent in, in college at either 18 or 19 years old. Um, and then guys that broke out at 20 or older and then guys that didn't break out. So you basically have three bins. Uh, you know, young breakouts, old breakouts, no breakouts. And then you just look at them by, by pedigree. So you say, all right, this is round one, this is round two, this is round three. So you basically have bins of players and you look at their, at their hit rate and it gives you an idea sort of, Hey, this is what, you know, this is what the hit rates for guys that were in the first round that were breakouts inside of, uh, you know, uh, of young breakouts were you know, 62% or something to that effect, you know, this is sort of what you would expect for this group. Is there, can you add more to those things post draft or, or is there something you can do pre draft that can sort of get more predictive than that? Yeah. So I, I want to say that, that 
that pre-draft, um, essentially what we look for is the younger the breakout age is, is obviously the better. So like you said, if we, if we put those guys into that, those bins, so I, age 18 and 19 would probably be one bin for me. Well, we could throw age 20 in there too, because we do see some positive hit rates at age 20. There's some upside there. Um, but then, you know, 21, 22, and 23, and then none would be that third bin. No matter what, I'm always looking for the players that that perform in that first bin because that young bin right there is when we see players come in automatically um, perform at the at at a high level from 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 a young age, that tells us that that they're capable of doing that when they were able to walk directly into an NFL team. But to answer your question in terms of like kind of a pre-draft and a post-draft model, so this is why using um, like just strictly production metrics such as age-adjusted breakout age or age-adjusted um, market share data, how much of the market share did these these players um, uh, acquire through how long of a time in college did they do it consistently? Are they one-year flashes in the pan? Um, you know, the, that using those production production metrics are probably the strongest thing that we have um, in terms of of being predictive in a, at a pre-draft um, at a pre-draft level. So you'll see a lot in in, in kind of my rookie index um, prefacing those production metrics, such as um, average. I like to use a lot of average too. So average dominator, um, average uh, uh, Peter Howard stat. Um, average dominator over average to kind of give you an idea of how much that player was dominating over the average of um, what uh, of the entire field um, as reception, uh, uh, excuse me, receiving yards, market share, um, average yards per team pass attempt, things like that. But when we get into post draft, the strongest signal that we have is draft capital. So when I tell you that we see a lot of positive hit rates for wide receivers in that first bucket, the age 18, 19, and 20, we generally see the hit rates coming when they're drafted in round one. So we, we already know that an age 18, uh, an age 18 breakout that's drafted in, in, in round one, we don't get very many of them. So to date, we only have about 19 in throughout from 2003 to 2019, but we know that 63% of that 19 has a positive hit rate for hitting at least one uh, top 24 fantasy season. So that right there, court, that the the draft capital adds an extra layer of strong, and I would venture to say a strong um, layer of predictability in terms of where we can look at um, in, inside of those bins. So pre-draft, I, I rely a lot on, on production metrics, age-adjusted market share numbers, efficiency metrics. And then once we get into post-draft, having that draft capital right there kind of tops it off and solidifies everything. We can go back and look at um, guys like Hakeem Butler last year, Kelvin Harmon guys, those guys were just absolute studs when we looked at production metrics alone, but they got drafted in, in, in the, the, the fifth and sixth round. And they basically became irrelevant because, um, uh, they, they didn't get a chance to get on the field. So we see that sort of kind of unfold with guys who are taken in the later round. They don't really have a path to opportunity. So uh, yeah, to answer your question, I would say that the, that one metric or that one data point right there in terms of draft capital is probably the, the best predictor that we have that differentiates pre-draft from post-draft for predictability. I think what you said about the, the, the significance of what you said in terms of the 18-year-old breakout uh, for round one guys, right? You would think that's the right the platinum standard right like mm -hmm. the the hey like this is everything you want right essentially mm -hmm. like this is everything you want and the hit rate is only 63% right that that's a good hit rate when you're comparing it to receivers at 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 you know ac across the board right that's that's really good but still one out of 3 of them would fail right or more than one out of 3 of them would fail yeah I think it's I think it's and and maybe Corey Davis is part of this conversation or 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 guys like that. But do you feel like the the market and when I say the market, I mean, you know, Joe Dynasty owner, right? This, you know, he's a consumer of content. He's uh, he plays in Dynasty leagues. Do you think that that or or even if it's analysts, do you think that there's an underappreciation of what that miss rate is? of how high that miss rate is even on like the good, the good side. I think there's always an underappreciation for uh, a, a, the guys that fall on the opposite end of those hit rates. I think we're, um, I, I think we see a number like 63%. And like you mentioned, uh, it is a really good number. That's a good number to have. I think 63% is very, very high, but um, it also comes with, with circumstance. 
we need to be tracking more than, okay, this guy is an age 18 breakout and he got drafted in round one. Because as although that does have a very high correlation to fantasy points, there are still guys um, that we are missing right now. And I'm I, like, I'm even currently like pulling up a couple guys with, with that age 18 breakout that, um, that didn't hit for us uh, over, over the past, you know, um, give or take almost uh, two decades. And for me, um, excuse me, I'm getting a little, uh, a little scatterbrained while I look at some of these names and stuff. But for me, um, yeah, no, there definitely is an underappreciation because I can tell you, uh, I think the, what we want to do is we want to pinpoint as, as best as possible, the things that we, we can kind of control. So I know that, uh, in that age 18 round one draft bucket that, um, 63% is, is a, a really a good number, a high number of hit rates. But like you said, one in three of those guys is going to miss. So instead of looking at the guys that do hit, that's when we kind of backtrack with the analytics. We say, okay, what can we find as a commonality in these guys that don't hit? And that's probably the best route that we can go for in terms of um, trying to like unearth why one in, in, in three of these guys aren't hitting. And it's a rarity though, as well. So the, like I said, the sample size of wide receivers that break out at age 18 that are getting drafted in round one is about 19. And a couple of these guys that are, that are busting out is like Corey Davis. And then we're looking at Nikhil Harry as well. Nikhil Harry, I think we can chalk up. We looked at, he's, he had injuries last year, did not get in a full off season with Tom Brady. When he did come back, um, that whole entire offense kind of failed. So it's kind of a it, it's kind of where can we where can we see and project Nikhil Harry to be next year? I think that's a that's a tough sell right now because uh, we don't know if their quarterback is going to be Jarrett Stidham. We don't know other variables that account for that, so we can't just be like, okay, he broke out at age eighteen and he got drafted in round one, so that's definitely absolutely the guy that I want. But what we can do is we can use this data to look at it and say, okay, he's got a 63% chance, or wouldn't say 63% chance, but um, wide receivers of his pedigree that are drafted in round one tend to hit very, very highly. Uh, this is the guy that I'm willing to gamble on because at the end of the day, too, as this is a game that's played by human beings, we we can we can project and predict as much as possible. But I have never seen a model that is a hundred percent predictive. Not my model, not uh, JJ Zacharyson's model, not Peter Howard's model, not anybody's model have I ever seen a hundred percent predictability. And uh, you mentioned earlier too, we're talking about things like R squared and stuff. When we have models that are cranking out only um, uh, you know twenty percent um, RSQ. That's only accounting for 20% of the variance in that model. That leaves 80% of the variance unaccounted for. And that's probably ge the general population of what, what a lot of people's models are, too. We can't account for everything, but what we can do is we can use data like this that um, that gives us these, these percentiles and hit rates and hopefully use it to the best of our, our knowledge while pairing it with other things, efficiency metrics, athletic testing numbers, and being able to really look at and trying to um, culminate everything together together to give us the best chance at where we should we should be spending this early round draft capital on these rookies or in your startup drafts or um, even going further for dynasty owners for a guy like Nikhil Harry what can we expect from him going into year two um, Corey Davis I think he's probably a hard sell at this point things like that um, that's that's what kind of these metrics and these these numbers kind of lead into yeah no that's great that's great um, the the, and then I want to get into the, a couple of players. Um, the uncertainty aspect of it, how would you sort of, if you have three guys, right? Like let's assume this year you have three guys that are in this 18-year-old round one category in terms of breakouts, then they have pedigree, uh, and you're sort of on the clock. How are you? Are you looking at athleticism? Are you looking at, because that's, well, let me take a, let me just ask you the point blank question. How predictive is athleticism in terms of, and we're just talking wide receivers. We can go to other positions in a second, but in terms of, in terms of receivers, is there an athleticism, right? Once you, once you control for pedigree, is there a difference between athleticism metrics that you would think to look at? Yeah. So one thing that I've actually been toying with a lot in terms of just athletic testing number is, um, I found a pretty solid correlation for, um, just weight adjusted speed score. So, um, I, I think a lot of people know the adjusted testing numbers in terms of like height adjusted speed score, which is a good metric, but, uh, I've seen, um, a lot of correlation between, uh, just raw fantasy points 
um, as the dependent and uh, weight-adjusted speed score as being um, at an athletic testing number metric that is important and it is significant. Um, a guy who is 6'4 and 258 pounds that runs uh, a 449 like Albert O, the tight end, that is very, very significant among the um, among the the pool of historical tight ends that have played, I, I posted this yesterday. Um, just just based on on uh, historical data from tight ends and and weight adjusted speed score, um, that number is second only to Vernon Davis, and uh, it's also second only to or excuse me, it's second to only Vernon Davis. And in that top twenty of weight adjusted speed scores from historical back to two thousand three, um, he's second among names um, like. Evan Angram, uh, Mike Gusecki, um, there was, um, I'm spacing on a couple of the names, a, a really, really good pool, Greg Olson, uh, Jimmy Graham, a, a, an elite level tight end class um, that resided in that top 20 and just weighted adjusted speed score. And um, if if you have followed any sort of analytics and you, and you do know about the tight end position, you know that... Um, Athletic testing and athleticism is something that is very sought after at the tight end position, and it generally has a good correlation. So that's a really strong indication that Albert, uh, the Albert O, it might be taken earlier than we think, um, based on his uh, in, in the NFL draft from a team that is looking for an, a very you know athletic tight end. That might be a precursor. The fact that he is he's that uh, fast for his weight and his size, um, that might be a precursor for him getting drafted a little bit earlier, meaning he's. It's probably a precursor for him getting on the field earlier than a lot of these other tight ends in this class, Uh, meaning we should probably look out for him to be a guy that might get some early valuable opportunity in his career. And, um, and, and, and that's probably a plus. So that's kind of a correlation you can draw from um, just intuitively talking about uh, athletic testing, but weight adjusted speed score is something that I've really found to be very useful and significant in terms of, of, of looking for that and kind of culminating that looking and putting it into my model as well. Is, is that including, does that include draft pedigree? So are you doing that pre-draft? Or are you doing that post-draft? So I found that it has um, that it just has correlation just one to one with with fantasy points um, within the first three years. So weight adjusted speed score is something that I will have incorporated in the pre draft and the post draft. No matter what, like I said, it's going to be the draft capital that will be the biggest indicator of um, of early success or success over a, um, a, a long period of time. So. Um, draft capital, where these guys are being drafted is a very, very big deal where teams and franchises value them will always trump where we value them. Because as much as we like to think we're smarter than a GM, um, and and we might be, we really might be, we don't get to, to, to make the decisions that they do. So sometimes, um, their decisions are affecting what, what we do. So draft capital is the end all, it's not the end all be all, but it definitely plays a very, very big part in where these players go. So everything that I have outside of draft capital in my model is things like weight adjusted speed score, average dominator over average, average college dominator, um, things like that, that go into my model pre-draft and then they will all still be incorporated after, but they will, um, have the, the, the cemented draft capital to go along with them, uh, in that post-draft. Got it. Uh, let's talk about this class, and I think the I think I think the receiving thing's interesting too. Um, and we've gone like a half hour just talking process, which is <laughs> perfect. Um, this is what I that's that's right down what what I'm looking for. Um, how do we? Well, I, let me start with just this. How do we think about Henry Ruggs in terms of you know the big athleticism? He's going to have the high pedigree. No breakout um but is going to be in a really 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 rare scenario of wide receivers that that are going to probably uh i think most likely go in round one for him and not have broken out and that is a that's a very rare i think there's four i think he'd be the fifth person since 03 for that to happen with sort of how how should we think about in a zero percent hit rate with that how should we sort of think about him as a player um, and, and where he fits in in this rookie class. Yeah. So Henry Ruggs is kind of a guy that um, I've, I've definitely not, I've not been on. Um, he's somebody that I, I find I, I have a hard time kind of grasping um, that the fact that a lot of people are calling him a, a first round draft pick. And I, I get um, 
the appeal from the speed aspect. I think the, I believe he ran a four two seven was what I remember him running. I get that speed aspect from um, that, that teams are going to kind of salivate over, but um, he's going to be kind of an anomaly. I don't think we've seen a, a player um, with at least that I can remember right now off the top of my head, a player that has no breakout that has gone, um, I believe three years in college without being a, a really big factor um, on their offense, um, at least from a market share standpoint and having no breakout age, nothing to really go on in terms of telling us that um, he's productive, uh, a productive wide receiver. And seeing them be touted as being a first-round draft talent. So he's going to be kind of an anomaly in terms of um, what kind of bucket we're going to have to put him in. We're going to have to put him in a success bucket that says there is a probability that he's going to to be um, a relevant fantasy player. But we're also going to have to, in the back of our minds, keep keep in mind that – he was essentially the third best wide receiver on his own team. Um, he was not able to trump Devonta Smith, uh, Jerry Judy, or and Jalen Waddle at times as well um, in his time at Alabama. And the issue isn't that um, that that. that the issue isn't that we're we saw an Alabama team that that was an anomaly in and itself. That they had so many great players that um, that Henry Ruggs just couldn't uh, he, he couldn't really beat them out. And and think about that too for a second. Henry Henry Ruggs is so good to be a first round draft talent, but he wasn't good enough to beat out the players who were so good before him. So that's kind of a contradicting statement when I hear people say that about Henry Ruggs. Like Alabama's offense was so good, but Henry Ruggs just wasn't good enough to be good in that offense. It's a weird uh it's it, it is a an absolutely weird narrative for me um to to hear kind of play out by some people. Um and for, for that, I'm always cautious about him because I know he's going to get the first-round draft capital, which means we're going to have to put him in that success bucket of wide receivers with first-round draft capital. Um, there is a potential level for success there that says um, – and, and like I said, I don't have uh, – I only have about three wide receivers in in, in my t- entire pool that have, have no breakout age that have been drafted in, in round one, which already kind of gives me a little bit of pause. And um, – Secondly, from just a fantasy standpoint, you want him to go to a completely depleted team. Um, he's a guy that showed you he he can't beat out the talent around him. Even though he will have uh, early round draft capital, he will be a player that you want to see go to a team potentially. like. And I've said this even before they let Robbie Anderson go, the Jets. Um, where he's only he's going to basically be the the second receiving option, maybe the third behind Le'Veon Bell, but he's only going to be competing with a guy like Jamison Crowder um, for targets there because nobody else there is 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 relevant. Um, I, Tajay Sharp, who just recently got got signed, Quincy Inunwat, those guys are non factors. So for a guy who who showed he can't produce in in college, uh, but is going to have that that elite and that high pedigree draft capital. You're going to want him to go to a situation where he doesn't have to really fight for that opportunity and where he's going to be able to just be that speed threat, rip off a couple, you know, two to three big long gains in, 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 in a game and really just give you um, a, a hopefully a, a non-volatile week-to-week fantasy output at least for the first year. But if he goes to a, uh, to a team um, like Green Bay or – a team, let's say the Chargers, um, you know, he slips to the second and, you know, the Chargers are there at 37 and they pick him. You don't want to see him in that position because they already have two options. They are Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and he's going to once again be the third option on a team. So I, I get the appeal. I know people think he's going to be a fantastic, you know, speed threat in the NFL, but be cautious when we talk about a guy like Henry Ruggs because whether he succeeds or fails, he's going to be an anomaly on on both ends. We've never seen a guy, um, not not many of them at least, um, in my time, have we seen a guy not produce as much as him and get drafted that early. And if he succeeds, it's going to be on a team that is very depleted at the wide receiver position, and he won't really have to fight for very much volume. It's kind of amazing that you're saying this guy that's going to go in the first round essentially has to go to what you're uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, what you're essentially saying is he – to be fantasy viable, he has to go to a bad situation because he will not produce enough on the field to demand high enough targets to be a wide receiver one type if there's good competition, right? Isn't that essentially what you're saying? 
Abs- absolutely. I do Which not. Is wild, right? Isn't it, that to it, spend a, a first round pick on that kind of wild? It feels that's and that's part of the um, that's part of the battle that I think um, anybody who uses these these numbers these this analytics portion uh, for any anything in terms of fantasy and rookie um, knowledge I think that that's the hardest part when you see people talk about Henry Ruggs being touted as a first round talent. Um, because the fact is he's not a first round talent. I want to get that out of the way. He's not a first round talent. He's going to be a first round selection and we're going to have to adjust to that, unfortunately. But yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, we're living 2020 is a weird year, man. It's just going to be a weird year. And Henry Ruggs is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's, it's going to get much more wild than that, but yeah, that's essentially exactly what I'm saying is people are going to spend first round draft capital on a guy who has a low end wide receiver to, um, a ceiling in my opinion. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, all right, Jerry, Judy, go for it. Oh, Jerry Judy. Um, so a little bit, a little bit less high on him than um, some of my peers. I do think that um, he he produced. He's definitely not out of my top five, though. Okay, so I don't want to get too. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not against, you know, I'm not the driver of the Jerry Judy uh, haters bus or anything. But I definitely don't have him as high as some of. Um, some of the other people around me. So the guy averaged um, 18.8% dominator rating over his career. His best was 25.9%. Uh, this past season, we saw him at 21.4% dominator rating. And for anybody that doesn't really know dominator, it's the culmination of touchdowns and receiving yards that a specific player um, uh, accumulated in a single year and as well as over the, 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 the span of their college career. And it, defines breakout age among other things as well. But Jerry Judy comparative to say a guy like Justin Jefferson, who um, averaged nearly 30% um, dominator rating over his three years at LSU. A um, also a guy like Denzel Mims who averaged 25.1% over his career at, um, at Baylor. There are other guys in this, in this class that have better age adjusted metrics and uh, age adjusted market share metrics. Uh, Jerry Judy kind of pans out as a middle of the pack kind of guy, but he's also a guy that we know is going to be the first or second wide receiver taken in, um, in, in the NFL draft and kind of to go over what we were talking about. Um, he has an age 19 breakout. So, um, if we kind of wanted to just drop him into a bucket, we know he's going to be placed in the, he's going to be selected in the first round age 19 breakout with fairly average, but has some positive upside, um, market share numbers. He's got about a roughly a 66% hit rate. And that's out of um, 18 wide receivers that have been taken with an age 19 breakout in the first round, 66% of those have produced a top 24 season. So, um, at least one top 24 season in their, in, in, in their career. So looking at that, um, within the first three years, I should say, excuse me. So looking at that, um, Jerry Judy has a high probability of being able to turn in a, a top 24 season and to do it early based on um, those variables right there. But he's definitely going to be a guy that you definitely want to look um, look at a little bit deeper in terms of the situation that he goes to. If he goes to a team like uh, the, the Las Vegas Raiders, perfect situation for him to continue to be a wide receiver one, which I do think he has the, the, the capability of being on a pretty consistent basis. He might toy around with being a fringe wide receiver, wide receiver one ish, probably like a, a middle of the pack wide receiver two for the first couple years, maybe the first two years, depending on the situation that he goes to. But I think we could see him be on the high end of a wide receiver two, low end of the wide receiver one on a consistent basis, given, um, a, uh, no injury history, no issues in terms of, um, uh, in terms of grasping the 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 concept and the scheme that he's being asked to at the NFL level with that high draft pedigree and the um the okay age adjusted metrics that we have on him I think he's got a really good chance at being uh fantasy relevant definitely like I said he's not outside my top five and there are a couple other guys that I'm really excited about 
um, that I think are more valuable that you can get later too. So if you have multiple firsts, I'm probably not looking at getting Jerry Judy because I can get better value um, at a later at a later price in the first round as well. So, uh, but I do like him. I do like Jerry Judy. Anybody that's off of him is going to be. Um, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be mad that they missed out. If, if, if he starts to slip in their, in their draft, I think there's a specific pressure point that I'm willing to budge on spending, um, my draft capital on him. But, um, yeah, nonetheless, I, I do think he's, he's going to be a, a pretty good wide receiver. Got it. Yeah. I'm not going to put you on that specific pressure point. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, um, l- let me ask you this. Uh, go ahead. and What's your thoughts on CD lamb? And then I'll ask you uh, a couple other questions about the receiver position. Yeah. So CD lamb is, he's going to end up being, um, he's going to end up being my wide receiver one. So maybe not wide, wide receiver one. I don't like to put a specific number on these guys anymore because I feel like it's uh it's not very fair, and I like to I like to be able to fluctuate my guys as much as possible. But C.D. Lamb is one of three wide receivers that um, are in my tier one right now, and it's getting to a point where he might end up being actually in in tier one by himself as I adjust um, furthermore. But um, every every component that I have adjusted in my in my model for him just absolutely loves him. Um, Average receiving yards per pass attempt, 2.5. That basically leads the class in terms of efficiency from, from year to year. That's the 90th percentile. It's average college dominator, um, a little bit average for me, about 25.5, uh, 70th percentile. It's average dominator over average, a 0.30%, 70th percentile as well. <clears throat> and when we look at at where he lands among this among this class, there are some higher producers. So there are some, some guys uh, such as Tyler Johnson who did – um, produce at an astronomical level for just four years, basically. Um, Brian Edwards, who produced a little bit more, but CD Lamb is is the only um, the, the highest producer that we have that we basically know is going to go round one. So with that in mind, again, um, basically you can spout off the same numbers, the the same same percentage of hit rates that I gave you last time for Jerry Judy, but you can just kind of elevate those for CD Lamb because uh, CD Lamb um, was a bigger producer in uh, in his time at Oklahoma. And I think we, if you want to add a little bit of context in there too, um, I think it's important to know that. CD Lamb played with three different quarterbacks throughout his, and, and granted, they were all Heisman, um, Heisman runner, well, not runner-ups, but they were all, uh, they were, they were all Heisman candidates, and he was in a really, really good system. But I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something to note that he played with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. Um, still continued to produce throughout his, throughout his career, and from a young age, breakout nineteen. Um, but that kind of tells me that. Um, no matter what, and he, again, he played with guys like Marquise Brown, who was the first wide receiver selected at the, at the end of last year, um, and, and outperformed him, um, uh, this past season. So he's just an overall dominant wide receiver and just kind of add to it intuitively. When we see wide receivers like that, be able to handle other NFL talent and beat them out. Um, that's a big plus. And then also, like I said, context is, is probably important when we talk about guys like CD lamb as well, uh, played three different quarterbacks. Um, the system probably didn't change too much, but that tells me he's able to be a little bit, um, flexible when he, when he gets to the league and he can probably handle as much as, um, a much turnover or, um, other NFL talent around him as, as he needs to and still produce. So with that, he will definitely be very high on my board. Um, I have him as probably the, um, overall, I would say even in super flex leagues, he's probably going to be my, uh, my third ranked overall player. Definitely still in that tier one. Interesting. Is in you're talking Superflex specifically. If we say I play a lot of Superflex, if yep. we go one QB, he's he's um, ranked number two. But if okay. I if we go um, Superflex, he's number three. He's in tier one in, in both of those categories. But um, Superflex three, and and that's just because I don't know if you can really pass on Joe Burrow right now uh, in at, a Superflex <laughs> at one. Yes, at one. I would probably I'd go Joe Burrow and then Jonathan Taylor and then Ceedee Lamb. Interesting. I'm I'm fascinated by Burrow at one. Um, and I just can't like I I get I get the love for him like I yeah. I, I like him like I yeah this isn't an anti Joe Burrow thing but from a positional like even like even though we love him like mm-hmm. the hit rate on on those guys to be I mean you just look at top ten quarterbacks the hit rate on them to start twice you know to produce top two top twenty. Uh, excuse me, two top 12 seasons at any point in their career is like 41%. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing. The, 
the the risk that that is involved with in terms of and again that's probably a spot that we don't you know I did a poll on this recently on Twitter and you know I just asked that I said what's the odds that that uh, you know wh- how basically do you think Joe Burrow will be a uh, uh, starter for two or more years at a top twenty at a top twelve level for fantasy production and it was like ninety some odd percent. Uh, and it was like more than double what the actual rate is in terms of the, you know, just the under his underlying subset. So it's an interesting uh, like I, I sort of see it from a positional allocation perspective, but um, it's interesting because I don't think like right now, I don't think the market's there in terms of like if you're looking at existing, you're looking at startup drafts right now. I, I just see um, Taylor's like consistently going ahead of Burrow and it's a, it's going to be an interesting inefficiency or or whether it turns into being an inefficiency after rookie drafts is going to be it's a fascinating uh, it's just a fascinating perspective for me to look at. Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. So I, I just want to throw this in there too. And I mm-hmm. think it is a positional scarcity that's going to drive him probably up when we get closer to um, those those rookie drafts. And, and and just in super flex in general, like I said, if it's one QB, you can kind of throw that out the window for for Burrow at one. I think Taylor, Taylor or Lamb is probably your best bet when we're looking at the guys to select there. And um, it's just it, it Joe Burrow being taken at, at one, like you said, in in those success rates, um, we can always find guys that that go in the late the later rounds of of rookie drafts that that tend to have a little bit of upside. I mean, look at Gardner Minshew as well. But I think uh, we expect the longevity to be there for a guy like Burrow a little bit more when um, when he's selected one overall and a team puts a little bit more faith in him um, to to take him that high. I think a lot of people kind of. Um, hitched their wagon to to hopefully whatever longevity he kind of kind of brings, but we know the turnover there is still pretty um, it, it's still pretty high, and not every quarterback that that comes in is going to be um, as good as he is. But definitely in this class, I would say in Superflex, if you do need a quarterback, that's I'm probably going Joe Burrow one. Got it. Is there a player and sort of at at his cost that? Whether it's the profile, whether it's the position, um, but but at the cost that you're going to be all in on, and he's the type of player that you could own seventy five to a hundred percent market share of across your leagues, um, and and be a league changer for you in terms of um, impact and impact across all of your dynasty teams. Yeah, my that my that one guy that um, I'm looking to to really acquire the most from at price, and I prob and this is honestly to an absolute value because you'll probably be able to get him at the end of the first um, is probably Justin Jefferson right now. And I know when you the, I say value and you can get him at the end of the first, it kind of doesn't sound like it, but for what. Um, for what the expectations are for Justin Jefferson, I really, really think that people are probably a little too low on him in terms of what, um, in terms of what he's going to be able to do in uh, in the NFL. Um, I know I mentioned a little bit earlier uh, for some components in my model, CD Lamb um, averaging uh, 2.5 average yards per team pass attempt. Well, uh, I said that was the highest. Well, actually, Justin Jefferson is right there, tied with him at 2.5 as well, with that 90th percentile. Uh, like I mentioned earlier as well, average 30%. Um, a college dominator over his three years at LSU, 80th percentile. Um, his average dominator over average is is a positive. It's 1.20. That grades in the 80th percentile. Then we go back and we just look at the consistency to which he's been able to perform um, over the past two seasons, most notably uh, with <clears throat> Uh, in his sophomore and junior season, that's kind of where we saw the surge. Um, an age 19 breakout last year, and, uh, and when I say last year, I, I kind of mean 2018. So, excuse me, two years ago, we'll say his sophomore season, um, where he was able to gather a, a fairly large market share of the overall offense. I believe it was around 31% of the overall touchdowns and receiving yards there. And he did it while Joe Burrow was kind of um, sort of coming into his own. We didn't see Joe Burrow have a really productive season, but um, nonetheless, we saw him perform. And then this year, we saw the absolute explosion of Jamar Chase. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. We saw both of those guys go for a, an astronomical amount of yards and touchdowns. Um, but the the kicker for me is that Justin Jefferson was good in 2018. And then we see Joe Burrow come in and have this absolutely phenomenal season, um, probably the best season we've had we've seen in college football. And we see his counterpart 
part, Jamar Chase absolutely explode and have his young breakout season. But yet again, Justin Jefferson still remains relevant. Once again, I believe he only seeded about 1% of his overall production um, to to Jamar uh, Jamar Chase uh, this past season. So we did not see a big decline, although he had another elite talent performing against him. And not to mention either, we're talking about Thaddeus Moss too, who came on late in the season during bowl season. And we also had uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who caught um, over 50 passes out of the backfield too. So it's not like it was just Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase um, that were that were performing in this offense and they were, you know, Joe Burrow's, you know, golden gooses. There were other um, other factors working against that duo. And yet Justin Jefferson is at the forefront of it, still continuing to produce at a very, very high level. Um, and like I mentioned uh, with, with a guy like CeeDee Lamb is – um, when we see these these college players perform and uh, continue to keep up with other NFL talent players, Jamar Chase is undoubtedly going to be an NFL talent, an NFL player, and he'll probably probably be selected very early. Um, when we see guys like Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb compete with counterparts that are NFL ready, will be um, drafted in the in the NFL, that tells us that they will be able to come in and compete with an NFL wide receiver room and still produce. So intuitively thinking, Justin Jefferson is already a leg up um, on a lot of this wide receiver class in terms of being able to, that we know he can compete with elite level talent and still produce at a high, high level. And then if we look at last uh, 2018 season of LSU, that was not a high producing team. Team. That was not a team that um, is, is, is comparable to the one that we just saw. And yet Justin Jefferson was still producing at a very elite level too. So that tells me that coming into the NFL, whether he goes to a bad situation where he's the only guy or he goes to a good situation with other elite players, he is going to be a dominant force and he is going to be a guy that I'm, I'm ready to invest as much draft capital as possible to get him. He's probably going to be going um, after uh, it, after the NFL draft. Um, and once we get more clarity on the draft capital, I expect him to rise maybe just a little bit um, after we know his situation and such. I still think you'll be able to get him anywhere past the 107, 108, and that's extremely, extremely good value for a guy who um, has his consistent level of production in college and at a very, very high level too. It's not he wasn't just producing. There's there's really no ascension for him. It's like he hit 30% of the overall dominator there for LSU, and he just did not stop no matter what the who the quarterback was or what 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 the system was um what season it was who was around him he just absolutely produced so that's the guy i'm really excited to get at value and i really think he's going to end up being an extreme value when we look back um on 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 this class next year yeah it's a it's, i i like it i dig it um all right last question uh cool. which is this is there something from outside of football whether it is uh, whether it's a different sport, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, whatever, whatever it is, it, a different experience that um, whether it's uh, something you've read or something you watched or something you um, listen to, whatever, whatever form uh, that that has influenced your the way you look at football or the way you analyze particular the way you analyze players or whether you look at dynasty or something that you would say has provided you value uh, that is sort of crossed over from uh, some other non-football place into the football world. Oh, that that is a a really good question. I would say that um, something that I've carried, I did take it in, uh, probably took it from my time in the fantasy industry, and something that I've corporate incorporated into my into my regular life too is. Um, be be kind of bold with what what you're doing. So, um, working at Roto Underworld and being around uh, Matt Kelly and listening to the way he operates on his podcast and and um, kind of interacting with him, um, and from a from a fantasy and a business standpoint, um, you kind of learn. And as well with Peter Howard too. Peter Howard is, is an incredible mind. Um, if 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 you don't know, I'm, I'm, if you don't know of him and you're listening to this, you know at PA Howdy on Twitter, he's um, an incredibly an incredibly smart guy. And those were probably the two guys that I've learned to um, be bold and back up your take, whether you are right or wrong. If you're wrong, um, learn and move on from it. But at the same time, um, be bold. If you like something or, uh, for example, I like Justin Jefferson a lot. 
and I'm going to be bold with the fact that he might end up being my wide receiver one um, over CeeDee Lamb. I love CeeDee Lamb, but the more uh, I even just talk about Justin Jefferson, the, the more excited I am about him. But be bold, take a stand, and don't take yourself too seriously. Um, that's something that, I, that I've kind of taken away from my interactions with Matt and just hearing him around the, the, the industry as well. And that's kind of carried over onto in, into my regular life in terms of um, when when I'm when I'm out and I'm and I'm with my kids and when um, I am I'm with my wife and stuff, um, I want my kids to kind of operate by that same set too of set of rules. You know, be bold, take a stand in what you believe in, and if you're wrong, learn from it. And if you're right, don't flaunt it, don't throw it in everybody's face, but have fun with whatever you're doing, um, and 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 just enjoy it. Be bold, uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Enjoy the ride and just have as much fun as possible. That's awesome. I I found that being bold, like the payoff on being bold is a lot greater than the, the downside of swinging and missing. And I think that that's like, um, whether that's a, whether that's financial or your own, you know, personal peace or whatever. I mean, it's the, the upside uh, or in dynasty, you know, the, the upside of it is a lot greater than, um, you know, taking the, taking the swing and the miss. So, you know, give me the guy that's going to hit 40 home runs and strike out 200 times in baseball. Right. That sort of, that sort of idea. Yeah. So, hey, Jesse, I want to say thanks so much for coming on. This was a great conversation. I could have kept you here uh, for another three hours, but, you know, <laughs> we joked about that before the show. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you, how they can be able to find your draft guide, uh, where they can follow your work and uh, and and follow you on Twitter. Absolutely. Yeah. So everything, um, all, all my work, all my, uh, opinions, all my, my bold takes, if you will, you guys can find on Twitter, um, at Jesse Reeves, FF, any, anything that uh, I'm kind of working on, I, I kind of try and shoot it onto, uh, into the, tw- the Twitter sphere and, um, kind of interact with, with everybody on there, uh, in terms of written, um, like, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Roto Underworld or playerprofiler.com. They're, they're two in the same thing. Um, playerprofiler.com. You can find my articles, which, will also be on Twitter as well. Um, I currently have a pile or a, a podcast uh, called The Draft Dialogue with uh, my amazing co-host, uh, Matt Gujeski, uh, where we are breaking down prospects um, somewhat similar to how I how we just talked about Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, and a couple other guys. Um, we do a live show. We cut that up into YouTube videos, and then we throw it into a podcast feed as individual player profiles. profiles. So – uh, maybe roughly seven to maybe 10, 15 minutes at most on, on those podcasts. And we have about 50 of them up almost within the next two days, we should get to about 50. So, um, a lot of good pro- prospect work there. Um, that's another Avenue to which I'm, I'm kind of pumping out content right now. And then, um, the, the rookie index, man. Yeah, we are, um, we're, we're inching up on, on getting that thing released. It's going to be coming out April 13th. That's a Monday. So, um, about roughly a little bit over two weeks now. Um, and I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to be selling this thing yet. I'm looking at a couple of different avenues. I'm trying to get the, the pre-order, um, code or pre-order, uh, kind of avenue up and up and running right now. So people can get the pre-order in, but it is definitely, I'm not set in stone where I will be distributing it. Um, it will cost you about $5, give or take. I know we're in, um, in kind of a rough time with uh, this this coronavirus and stuff. So um, I want people to be able to consume this thing as much as possible, kind of take their minds off of some of the stuff that's going on out there and really enjoy what's going on, but for a reasonable exchange as well. So uh, it's going to cost about $5. It'll be really cool. Um, you should definitely get it. it you'll see plenty of um, stuff within the next week or so in terms of just kind of previews on that, uh, graphics, kind of teasers and stuff to get you guys ready for it. So um, yeah, that's and that's pretty much everything you know the podcast twitter um, written work on roto underworld and then the the rookie index man that's pretty much the culmination of my 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 body of work right now yeah that, that sounds good one last time where they can find you on twitter yeah on twitter at jesse reeves ff awesome and i i'm gonna release this you know we're recording this on thursday night i'll release it Probably before you have the official uh, launch stuff, but if you're listening to this, I will throw the, uh, you know, once Jesse uh, releases where he's going to actually have the rookie guide on sale, I will have it in the show notes uh, so you can find it and there will be a link there when that comes out. So 
Um, all right, Jesse, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank everyone for, for listening. Uh, enjoy this content. I hope everyone's staying safe out there. Um, I know it is a, <laughs> an uncertain time, but uh, just keep staying safe and, and be vigilant in, on all of that front. Um, and until next time, continue embracing the variants, and we will talk again soon.